0: Peacemaker, Peacemaker, Little Bo Peep, by Jason Sanford. The sheep led the sheepdogs and wolves to pasture and prepared to gun us down. They lined us up for execution in an old soybean field as the night clouds above built to rains which never fell and the winds gusted to burnings we smelled but couldn't see. I stood by Victor Braun. A trucker I'd arrested three days before for the murder of a young hitchhiker. I'd caught Victor near the crime scene as he worked with bloody hands on his broken-down engine. When I'd ordered Victor to the ground at gunpoint, he smirked before complying, muttering about bad luck and cheap-ass foreign trucks and his amusement at being arrested by a woman half his size.
1: Care to tell me your name, honey?
0: He drawled as I cuffed him. Sergeant Ellen Davies, I announced, as I smashed his head against the scratch rock ground for what he'd done to that poor girl. But now we stood side by side as the people I'd served for the last decade paced up and down, debating the best way to kill us. Before me, Pastor Albert Jones of the Holy Redeemer Church sadly shook his radshag head. Jones had baptized me as a teenager not long after he moved to our little town. One of the proudest moments in my life had been when he once praised me in a sermon for being a true protector of the weak and voiceless. Now, though, he would be my death. As Pastor Jones looked at me through sad, down eyes, I cursed him, causing the woman beside him to angrily spit at my badge. Pastor Jones rested his hand on our shoulder and said to stop. This was a solemn occasion, not an occasion for petty vengeance. He then moved down the row, looking into the face of each person awaiting execution. On the other side of Victor stood Buck, a lanky rookie who, unlike every other deputy, begged for his life. I refused to beg, and with my free hand, wipe the spit from my shield. good on you. Victor muttered. Ours was a small department of only 30 deputies, and half those stood in this old soybean field along with the handful of prisoners from our jail. The others were either dead, killed when we made our final stand at the sheriff's department, or had escaped with their families. And we'd survive because Sheriff Granville had walked into the thousands of angry townsfolk with a white flag and convinced Pastor Jones to let us surrender. I'd never seen such bravery. The mob, shooting and screaming, throwing Molotov cocktails to Sheriff Granville, already shot twice, waved his flag and shouted over and over, We're
2: better than this! We're better than this! We're better than this!
0: Sheriff Granville now leaned against Sergeant Glosser for support as blood dripped from rifle shots to the sheriff's massive gut. He glared at Pastor Jones. They'd been friends ever since Jones arrived in town. Jones, embarrassed, said there was nothing he could do.
1: (coughs) Always something you can do. Sheriff Granville muttered weakly. We've been there.
2: helped each and every one of you.
0: The sheriff's words rippled through the townsfolk. Several people shuffled the dust of old soybean plants, maybe remembering times we'd located a lost child or caught a thief. For a moment, I thought the sheriff's words might make a difference. But suddenly, (coughs) Pastor Jones shrieked, an inhuman whine his voice shouldn't be able to make. The high-pitched scream of joy climbed into the word peace as other people around him joined in. Their voices went unable to match Jones' eye-pitched shout, but they still trilled that cursed word until the mob lost all intelligence and peace no longer sounded like anything I'd ever known. While the crowd trilled, Pastor Jones walked down the line. He pulled out Buck, still begging for his life, and removed the handcuffs before ripping off the kid's badge. He also freed two of our prisoners who'd been in jail for petty crimes. Pastor Jones ordered them to leave and never harm another. Buck didn't glance back as he ran through the dark into the nearby trees. Pastor Jones shrieked again, causing the crowd to raise their guns even as they kept trilling peace. I recognized the pistol in front of me as my service weapon now held by my old Sunday school teacher, Mrs. McKenzie. I could only pray my husband received my warning and escape with my daughter. As if hearing my unspoken prayer, Victor Braun grabbed my handcuffed hand with his own. My palm hot and sweat slicked, his still coated in the hitchhiker's blood, stains he'd proudly refused to wash away. I hated his touch. I gripped it tightly. Be ready to fall, he whispered. And then, Pastor Jones shrieked fire. Fire! And we truly fell. Sometimes you fall well before you know. You fall and feel the impact later. Is it fair to blame a dream for all this, knowing it only released what was inside us to begin with? Or is the dream an excuse? A word to tickle our mind. A mental escape to overlook the horrible things people have always done. At first, the reports of mobs killing soldiers and police and criminals and thugs didn't disturb us. We thought these were simply revolutions and protests from people trying to change their lives. Events which happened somewhere in the world on a regular basis. But then we saw the videos. Heard the eerie trilling. Saw the mobs attack while trilling peace as if the word was some sick, perverted joke. Witnessed how the crowds were controlled by a few individuals who shrieked at impossibly high tones, their voices controlling the mob's actions like a virtuoso caressing bloody piano keys. And the dreams. Don't forget the dreams. Trillers mentioned the dreams with star gone gazers as if unable to forget the experience yet unwilling to trust words to describe it. Those few who did speak in detail mentioned the calling they found in dreams, while those the Trillers aimed to kill spoke of being rejected by their dreams. Before the Trillin reached our town, Pastor Jones called their congregation to an evening prayer session. I sat on the stiff wood pew with my husband and daughter and wondered if it was really possible for my neighbors, my friends, to kill me because of the work I did. Barry held my hand in his massive grip, his calluses sticky with sap from working all day as a logger, while Lucy leaned against my side, sleeping, wanting to go home. I wanna go home. But Pastor Jones pushed my worries aside as he thundered at our congregation to have faith.
2: We are all God's children. Remember who you are.
0: Don't allow this evil dream to
2: steal your soul. Amen.
0: We all amen, but none of us said the word like we meant it. Afterwards, as the congregation filed out, Pastor Jones walked up.
2: Makes you wonder.
0: He whispered to me and Barry.
2: About the truth of what we preach.
0: My husband (laughs) laughed nervously (laughs) to the melodrama in Pastor Jones' voice and told our daughter to go play with her friends. Are you truly worried? I asked once Lucy was out of earshot, having long since learned that when people make random observations, they're often voicing deeper thoughts. Pastor Jones looked into me. The look people give when... They want to say something, but are afraid to utter the words.
2: I worry for you and your family, Ellen,
0: he said.
2: You should flee before whatever this is reaches town.
0: I gripped Pastor Jones' hand and told them I appreciated the concern. I have a duty to perform the same as you, I said. As you said, we merely need faith. Pastor Jones looked uncertain. The thunder and grace from his pulpit faded, gone. But before I could press him, my old Sunday school teacher, Mrs. McKenzie, called out to him, demanding Jones describe a theological point about dreams being debated by me and her friends. Pastor Jones chuckled nervously and walked away. Now, only a few weeks later, I'd love to ask Pastor Jones what he truly wanted to say, to ask what had truly worried him to ask if trillers like him give any thought on the evil their dreams push into the world. Into the ditch, mud and screams and cries, the water only a foot deep, hidden by cattails and grass, as gunshots and flashlights played over the injured and the dead. The mob shot over and over the shapes in the mud. They hadn't removed our body armor, so many of the deputies survived the initial shots, only to be killed with follow-up shots to the head or ruffle rounds which shredded Kevlar and flesh. But Victor Braun had muttered fall, so when the gunshots rang, we fell and rolled into the deeper water of the ditch. We hid in a tall clump of cattails, my leg burning from a bullet, while my chest, numb, tingled from a round stopped by my vest. Neither of us talked or moved, knowing sound and motion would reveal our hiding place. However, Sheriff Granville's deep voice boomed out from the ditch, mocking our executioners. He'd survived the first volley and now laughed at the mob, cursing them as weak and stupid, until Pastor Jones himself waded into the ditch and shot Sheriff Granville upside the head. I reached for my service weapon before remembering it was gone. And there we lay, until the mob's eerie trilling died down and they wandered off one by one, leaving the wind scudding the empty soybean field above us. I began to crawl toward my fallen colleagues, but I was handcuffed to Victor and he wouldn't move. Wait, he whispered. There uh, may
1: be a few left, watching for survivors.
0: I glanced at Victor. He was wet and muddy and cold and scared the same as me, but far bigger than me, over a foot taller with at least 100 pounds of muscle above my own. If we fought handcuffed together, he might win. But I wasn't going to wait without checking on my friends. If anyone's watching, we'll run, I whispered, or kill him. Victor looked into my eyes as a nasty grin cut his murderer's face. No doubt the bastard approved of such blooded talk. We crawled through the ditch back to the other deputies, their moonlit badges glowing against the darker stains of mud and blood on their brown uniforms. We checked each body, but they were all dead. I'd seen the dead many times in my career, but never so many friends. I searched for a weapon, or a handcuff key, or a cell phone to call my husband and daughter. But Pastor Jones had been thorough in his search. After we surrendered. While the mob acted as if in a daze, something tied in with that damn trilling they made, Pastor Jones had shown a deadly intensity I'd never before seen in him. I told Victor we'd head out with the handcuffs on, but he waved me silent. I glanced around the dark field, looking for the danger, but it wasn't danger. It was a sound, a gasp, a low cough. Over here. Victor whispered, leading us to Sheriff Granville's body. The sheriff had always been a massive man, as tall as Victor, but having long since let his muscle run to fat. Seeing the sheriff's frozen eyes and face still set in the look of determination from taunting his executioners almost broke me to tears. We heard a low curse. Victor and I grabbed the sheriff's large body and rolled it. Underneath lay Sergeant Glosser, who'd been supporting our wounded boss. Victor and I grabbed Glosser and tried to drag him away, but he was still handcuffed to the Sheriff. So we pulled both of them out of the ditch and dragged them across the field to the nearby woods. You okay, Gloss? I asked. He was covered in blood, but it all seemed to be from the Sheriff.
1: Bastard liked to broke my jaw,
0: he said. What?
1: When they started shooting, the Sheriff sucker punched me, knocked me clean out.
0: I explained how the sheriff taunted the mob after the first round of shooting. He knocked you out to hide you, I said. Hid you in the mud under him. Taunted them so they wouldn't notice you. Glosser nodded, not saying anything. None of us could, only staring at Sheriff Granville's body. Even though he knew he would die, he'd fought like hell to save one of his people. Suddenly, a car's headlights flickered over the soybean field car doors thumped and several men and women with flashlights got out we've got to go i whispered to glosser do you have a handcuff key he patted his uniform pocket and shook his head while victor and i could flee handcuffed together glosser couldn't run until we freed him from the sheriff's body the people from the car walked towards the ditch i saw shotguns and rifles One of them trilled peace, and they shot at the dead bodies over and over. Leave me, Glosser whispered. Get out of here. I turned to Victor, ready to argue with the murderer that we weren't leaving Glosser. But Victor merely raised his hand for me to wait. He sat deep in concentration, quietly gagging. The trillers had now noticed the bloody drag marks in the field from the sheriff's body. They shone their flashlights along the wood line and began walking towards us. The Glosser waved for us to go, but Victor again motioned to wait. He gagged a final time as the tip of a handcuff key parted his lips. He unlocked the three of us, and we fled deeper into the dark woods. We called them Trillers because of the sound they made while killing. It was easier to call them that than friend and neighbor and lover and family and to know that people once so close could so easily do this deed. We stumbled through the night, avoiding other people. We saw several fires in the distance and heard screams and gunshots. Anyone who had embraced violence and aggression before the dream hit, whether as a means to harm others or seeing violence as occasionally necessary to protect yourself and or others, was at risk of being killed. Somehow, the Triller sensed immediately who these people were and hunted them down. Never mind that the Trillers were doing far worse than those they killed could have ever done. When morning came, we found a partially burned trailer off a back road and hid there. A man and woman lay dead in front of the trailer, both shot down by Trillers as they'd fled the flames. We left the bodies alone and scrounged food and water inside. The water still flowed from the faucets, and I washed out the flesh wound on my leg and bandaged it. The wound hurt, but if I kept it clean, it wouldn't give me much trouble. Glosser and I also changed out of our uniforms into some civilian clothing we found. But just in case, we kept our damaged body armor on underneath. Victor seemed amused when he saw me in blue jeans and a flannel shirt. What? I asked.
1: Changes the power dynamic is
0: all, he said.
1: Amazing what a uniform or the lack of one does to the mind.
0: Glosser eyed Victor warily from the trailer's smoky kitchen. We hadn't found any guns, but Glosser held a machete and handed me a hatchet. Victor glanced around as if to ask where his weapon was before shrugging. Interesting trick with the handcuff key, I said to Victor. How long did you have it hidden down your throat?
1: I always keep one in my mouth while hunting. Partially swallow it if caught. Bring it back up if needed. Trick I learned a while back.
0: I shifted the hatchet in my hand, remembering the body of that young hitchhiker and knowing instantly what Victor meant by hunting. Her torso split from gut to chest in one knife slice. Her breast sliced off. Her throat gaping so wide I could have slid my hand up to grab her tongue. It was the worst crime scene I'd ever encountered. Even worse than the murder-suicide I investigated a few years ago in the abandoned hotel downtown. That had been the work of a drug-crazed man who hadn't fully known what he'd done to his best friend until he came down. At which point, horrified, he killed himself. But Victor had known exactly what he was doing to that girl. After I'd arrested him, I found a pair of homemade leather gloves in Victor's back pocket. A human tattoo of a heart visible on the sewn palms. The sheriff and I suspected Victor of being a serial killer and bagged the gloves for DNA testing. Figured they were a trophy from another grisly murder. But before we could dig deeper, our world dropped into crazy. Seeing me gazing at him... Victor spit a grin, which would have fried fear through most people.
1: She wasn't my first kill, he said. If that's what you're wondering, you're proud, aren't you?
0: Glossa asked in a shaky voice. He'd always had trouble keeping emotions out of his work. Naturally, Victor picked up on this. Huh.
1: Let me guess, he said. You take my existence as a personal affront, which of course makes me wonder what you're hiding. Maybe you dip into the criminal now and then maybe, before becoming a cop, you did things you aren't proud of.
0: I wanted to curse. Not only was Victor dangerous, he was smart. He pegged Glosser far too quickly. Before becoming a deputy, Glosser had been involved in a number of breaking and enterings as a teenager, and even one assault. He'd been destined for far worse crimes before Sheriff Granville took him under his wing and refocused Glosser on high school. After Glosser graduated and stayed clean for a few months, the sheriff overlooked Glosser's juvenile crimes and hired him. Behind me, I heard Glosser step across the burned linoleum and saw a flash of a machete as he prepared to separate Victor's head from body. I motioned for him to stop. Smart, Victor said.
1: Right now, you need me.
0: Why, I asked. (sighs)
1: Because whatever is causing this is coming after all of us. The sheepdogs and the wolves. Anyone who ever used violence. <laughs>
0: Glossus snorted in disgust, but I knew Victor was right. By sheepdogs and wolves, he meant the police and criminals. And it sure did seem that something was gunning for us. Victor's right, I said. There's safety in numbers.
1: That's why I'm still with you
0: two, Victor said. Unspoken was that once he felt safe enough, Victor would leave. I lowered my hatchet and sat down across from Victor at the charred table. Why didn't you use the handcuff key earlier, I asked.
1: You never gave me an opportunity to escape.
0: I smiled grimly at the compliment and gave Victor the hatchet. When dark came, we left the smoke-gagging trailer and hiked towards town. We kept to the fence-lined trees along the back roads occasionally seeing bodies beside wrecked cars or burned houses. But most houses stood as they always had, giving an odd normalcy to the night. Groups of people also drove by in trucks and cars, looking as if they were going to a cookout or a party, but they were actually hunting. We saw three cars full of people pull up in front of a wood panel home. The trillers surrounded the house and yelled at the man inside to come out. Instead, the homeowner fired a rifle hitting two of them. But the trillers fired back and one through a gas bomb. The man inside kept firing until the whole house was ablaze. And all you heard were his screams as he burned to death. After waiting a bit to make sure the man was dead, the trillers climbed back into their cars and drove off. One of the wounded Trillers left with them, but the other was dead, her body laying where she fell. As soon as their headlights disappeared, we ran from the woods to the dead woman. Her shotgun had been taken, but she had a pistol and a cell phone in her pocket. Glosser handed me the pistol, an almost worthless 32 ACP mouse gun. Still, it might be better than nothing. And I pocketed it as we ran back to the woods. Glosser immediately called his wife. She answered on the first ring and they both cried. She and the twins were hiding in the attic along with Sheriff Granville's wife, daughter-in-law, and grandkids. When Glosser's wife asked about the sheriff, Glosser didn't say anything. How could he? Glosser's wife knew him well enough to understand. Glosser promised to reach them soon.
2: It's almost morning and we have to hide, he said. Hang on until tonight, okay?
0: I heard his wife whisper her love and his two boys say the same. Wiping his face, Glosser handed me the phone. I called Barry, praying with each ring for the big lug to pick up, refusing to believe the worst, even when the phone clicked into voicemail. I left a message and called back, and again, nothing. If Barry didn't answer, my daughter should have picked up.
1: They might not be able to answer.
0: Victor said with more sympathy than I'd expected from a serial killer. Probably hold up somewhere. I refused to answer as I slid the phone into my pocket. The dream visited me during a few scant moments of sleep, my head on my desk as I worked on paperwork from Victor's arrest. Victor sat glumly in the holding cell near me. I shouldn't have drifted off with him there, but the room felt so warm and I felt so tired and the next thing I knew, I was dreaming. I sat in a sunny field as a sweet smelling breeze whistled the grass and daisies around me. Barry sat beside me, holding my hand in his giant palm as we watched Lucy prepare for her third grade play. She wore the little Bo Peep outfit I'd spent far too many hours sewing, but where the outfit I'd actually made for her was barely recognizable as a frock. This dream outfit appeared ripped directly from a high-end nursery rhyme, as if I'd actually had time to make a costume worthy of some damn idolized world's best mom. Barry looked at me and smiled as Lucy twirled in happiness. The breeze wrapped me tight in its warm embrace. I felt perfectly, absolutely at peace. But even as I realized this peace, the breeze built up and up into a slicing wind. A wind which swirled like a dust devil as it tasted my memories. The wind saw the times I'd had to practice violence. Saw that I'd be perfectly willing to do violence in the future.
2: I do wish this could be different.
0: The wind sighed in a voice sounding exactly like Pastor Jones.
2: That a hero could, for once, be acceptable to us. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed such choices.
0: I tried to defend myself, explaining that sometimes you had to raise your fist to stop people from harming others, but the wind shivered away my words. The field around me vanished. My daughter screamed in panic before she disappeared along with Barry. As the most peaceful moment I'd ever experienced was wrenched away, I felt the dream condemn me and condemn my husband and daughter for being so close to me. I screamed and slammed my fist into my desk, only to realize I was still in the sheriff's department. From the holding cell beside me, Victor frantically shook the metal bars, his face a mix of pain and loss and losing whatever dream of peace he'd also experienced. As he rattled the bars, we heard a trilling rise from outside the department, a slow moaning of peace which mocked the dreams we'd both briefly glimpsed.
1: This would be a good time to run,
0: Victor said. He was right, but I didn't realize how right until we were handcuffed together and fallen into that mud and bullet jumping ditch. Victor, Glosser, and I wasted an hour trying to find a car to steal, but had no luck. As a result, the sun rose before we made it a dozen blocks into town. The electricity was still on in most houses, and we saw a few people holding guns and talking with neighbors. Obviously, they were continuing to hunt for us violent people. We needed to hide. Buck, Glosser said. What's that? Victor asked. Not what, I said. He's the deputy Pastor Jones released before he shot us. His house is a block away. Victor shook his head.
1: No, we can't trust him. That preacher let him go for a reason.
0: My gut told me Victor was right, but Glosser shoved the murderer back, pointing the machete at his throat.
1: Screw you,
0: Glosser whispered.
1: Buck's a cop. We trust him.
0: While I'd always been uneasy around Buck, he'd never struck me as top quality police material. We'd still served together for the last year, so I was with Glosser. We had to trust him. We reached Buck's back door as the sun lit the neighborhood in a warmer light than it deserved. Several nearby houses were burned and gone, only char and cinder marking their cement foundations. A number of police and firefighters had lived in this neighborhood. I refused to think about what had happened to them and their families. Glosser tried Buck's door, but it was locked. He knocked several times before Buck walked to the window and saw us. But he didn't open the door.
1: Son of a bitch!
0: Glossa grumbled. He banged again, far too loudly for my taste. And I looked around to see if any neighbors were watching. After a few bangs, Buck opened the door.
1: You shouldn't be
2: here.
0: He began, but we'd already pushed past him into his den. Victor closed the door and locked it. All of the shades were drawn and the lights out. This is not how you greet friends, I said. Buck looked nervously at the carpet. Sorry, he said.
2: I thought you were here to kill me.
0: Victor walked around the house, checking rooms and closets to see if we were alone. Glosser and I stared at Buck, trying to see the rookie we'd spent so long training in the shivering, fearful kid before us.
2: I heard the shots, Buck said. Anyone else
0: make it? We didn't need to answer. What happened to you? I asked. Buck said he hid in the woods until daybreak. As he walked back to town, a group of Trillers saw him, but they merely waved and kept on going.
2: After that, I figured they wouldn't hurt me.
0: Victor was drinking a glass of milk in the kitchen and shaking his head at Buck's words. Not that the kid was lying, but something was wrong with his story. I wondered how the Trillers knew which people were the fighters of the world and which were those they could safely leave alone. No ordinary dream gave people such ability. I remembered Pastor Jones' voice in my dream. Whatever caused this wasn't natural, because it involved accessing a person's memories and what they'd done in life, and determining what they might do in the future. Still, nothing to be done about it now, and we had nowhere to go until sundown. I asked Buck if he had any weapons, but he said no, so we made do with my mouse gun and the machete and hatchet. We'll sleep in shifts, I told the man. Victor, you and me and Buck sleep first. Glosser keeps watch. Glosser nodded. I trusted him and he trusted me. I slept exhausted. I again dreamed of Lucy and her little Bo Peep outfit. Only this time, we weren't in that peaceful field. Instead, we sat in the school auditorium as she chased costumed sheep around the stage. Pastor Jones sat nearby and howled with laughter at Lucy's charming performance clapping and nodding his red-topped head to her every memorized line. But instead of the play ending how it had in real life with me hugging my daughter, Lucy suddenly ran and panicked through our neighborhood, chased by Pastor Jones and the trailers as peace, peace echoed in my mind, remembering how in my first dream Pastor Jones' voice had condemned Lucy solely for my actions. I begged him not to hurt her. He looked at me with a pained expression and said he'd try to help. When Glosser woke me for my turn at watch, I again tried Barry. No answer. My house was only two miles past Glosser's. After we reached his family, we'd get to mine. I sat in the den's easy chair, trying to clean out the flesh wound on my leg. The wound hurt more than before, no doubt from all the running I'd done. Midway through my watch, Buck walked in.
2: I can't sleep anymore,
0: he said, glancing at my bloody pants leg.
2: I'll stand watch if you want to shower and dress that wound.
0: I hesitated, but what could I say? Buck was a deputy. If I said no, it'd mean I didn't trust him. Only a few minutes, I said. In the bathroom was an old radio. I tuned through the dial looking for news, but a recorded message from Pastor Jones was on all the local stations. I showered as I listened.
2: Peace is upon us. It is painful, I know, to do these things. We love these people, but for too long, the criminal has stolen from us. The murderer has killed us. The soldier has attacked us and the police officer has merely pretended to protect us. In truth, they are all the same, all the same violent person. Once they are gone, peace will be ours. We will beat our swords into plowshares and live in the paradise of a true eternal peace.
0: I threw the soap at the radio, knocking both to the floor with a loud crash. After drying off, I wrapped my wound with gauze from Buck's first aid kit and dressed. I walked out of the bathroom to find Victor, holding Buck at gunpoint, Buck's nose broken and streaming blood. I pulled the mouse gun and aimed it at Victor. Drop the gun! I yelled, loud enough to wake Glosser, who stood in the back bedroom.
1: Ratted us,
0: Victor said in a low, angry voice, keeping his pistol on Buck.
1: I caught him calling the
0: trillers. Glosser now stood beside me, machete in hand. I glanced from Buck to Victor. I'd helped instruct Buck while Glosser had served as his field training officer. Buck couldn't have done this. I refused to believe it. But the pistol Victor held snapped into my mind. I'd seen Buck shooting it before. At our firing range, Victor grinned his evil slit.
1: He had it under his mattress,
0: Victor said.
1: Guess he lied when he said there were no weapons here.
0: Buck's bloody face paled and he fell to the carpet begging like he did in the Trillis firing line. I promised Pastor Jones, he said.
2: I promised I'd stay with peace. I even dreamed it. I dreamed the true
0: peace. Glosser cursed and smashed Buck across the head with the machete's handle knocking him out. Buck collapsed to the carpet as headlights lit the window shades. Victor glanced out front.
1: Two cars, he said. Seven
0: people. I looked out and saw Pastor Jones step from one of the cars. Sergeant Davies! Pastor Jones yelled.
2: You have nowhere to run. Think of your daughter. She doesn't have to follow your violent path. Do the right thing, and I promise to gift her a true dream of peace.
0: I tensed at the mention of my daughter, but Glosser pointed up the street, at more headlights approaching. We didn't have long before an entire mob of drillers would be here.
1: Out the back door?
0: Glosser asked. I looked at Victor and he nodded toward the front door. No, I said. We charge them, rattle them. We're in no condition to outrun them unless they're afraid to follow. So we charged. Victor shot two thrillers, an old husband and wife I remembered from the church's Christmas choirs, where they always sang a haunted version of Silent Night. Glosser slashed the teenage girl across the face with his machete, while I shot the postman who delivered the mail to my house. The first shot from the mouse gun didn't stop him, but the second shattered the lit Molotov cocktail in his hand, exploding him to a crazy dance of flames. Despite this, He kept trilling peace with the others. I tried to shoot Pastor Jones, but all I saw of him was his red hair illuminated for a moment by a third car that pulled up. He ducked behind the car for safety. By then, we were past the trillers and running down the street.
2: They're not following!
0: Glosser shouted. They'll follow, I said. They'll wait a bit before chasing us, get up their bravery and numbers. So we ran for Glosser's house, praying Pastor Jones wouldn't figure out too soon where we were going. We reached Glosser's neighborhood to find the power out. A fire station down the block had been attacked, and the substation next door had exploded when the station burned. While Victor and I stood guard, Glosser ran up the stairs calling for his family. They opened the attic door and fell into his arms, his twin boys hugging him as his wife cried. Sheriff Granville's wife, along with her daughter-in-law and grandkids, surrounded me. I hugged the sheriff's wife as she cried. I didn't need to tell her about the sheriff's bravery. She knew he'd have gone down fighting. Quickly, Glosser grabbed a duffel bag and began throwing food and supplies into it. Victor and I opened Glosser's gun safe and pulled out a shotgun and an automatic rifle from Glosser's days on our department's SRT team. Victor handed me the rifle and ammo clips, and I handed him one of Glosser's old sets of body armor. Victor loaded the shotgun and placed Buck's pistol in a holster which he belted around his waist.
1: There's a truck and an old SUV in the garage.
0: Glosser told me.
1: We drive them both, grab your family, and get the hell out of here.
0: I was curious where this left Victor. I'd assumed all along he'd leave us at some point, while I didn't like turning him loose, there was no other alternative. I turned to ask Victor where he was going, only to find him staring at Glossa's wife. Victor looked embarrassed, as if caught in a compromising moment. Even though I'd visited Gloss’s wife a hundred times, it took me long seconds to realize what Victor was seeing. Gloss' wife looked like an older version of the hitchhiker Victor had killed.
1: What's wrong?
0: Glosser asked in an edgy voice. I was suddenly grateful he'd never seen the girl's bloody body or the nightmarish autopsy photos.
1: A destination,
0: Victor said, fumbling away his shocked stare. You'll need somewhere to hold up for a while.
1: I got a place.
0: Glosser pulled out a map and Victor showed him how to drive to his land. About 60 miles outside town, up and down several hills and a number of dirt roads. Glosser stared at Victor, no doubt knowing, like I did, what that house had been built to hold off. And likely, what Victor had used the isolation for.
1: I don't know.
0: Glosser said.
1: I won't go there.
0: Victor promised.
1: I'll head the other way. Wouldn't feel right, you and me, together.
0: Seeing no other place to go, we agreed with Victor's plan. We loaded the truck and SUV and drove to my house. Barry lay in our kitchen, his body bled out. There were three dead trillers outside the house and two inside. The shotgun beside my husband was empty. It looked like he'd struggled hand to hand with someone before being shot. In Barry's frozen right hand, a tangle of red hair gleamed to my flashlight's glow. Torn from the triller, he'd fought. Victor shook his head at my husband's body and kicked a cabinet so hard the wood splintered. It ain't right, he said.
1: All these people, they're sheep. They hate violence. They get people like you to protect them and fear people like me, but at the end of the day, that's all they do. Fear and talk and live.
0: I knew what Victor was saying, and if I'd been thinking clearer, I would have told him that he was only partially right. That it wasn't wrong to want to live your life in peace, to let others protect you as it had been my honor to do. But right then, I was as angry as him and wanted to kill Pastor Jones and everyone like him. And I needed to find my daughter. I thought back to Jones' comment about Lucy being shown the true way to peace. He had her. I knew it. When Glosser drove up in front of my house, He had a young woman and man huddled in the back of his truck and another car following them.
2: Two
1: soldiers I know, and their families, he said. I couldn't leave them.
0: I was proud of Glosser. Proud of the way he'd pulled his life together from his wreck of a childhood and proud I'd served beside such a good, decent man. When he asked about Barry, I shook my head and told him to lead everyone to Victor's safe house. I was going to find my daughter. If I was lucky, I'd join them later.
2: What about him?
0: Glosser asked, pointing his pistol at Victor. Victor muttered that he was also leaving, would hike his way out of town. But I quickly told him no. He was coming with me. Victor looked intrigued and asked what was in it for him. But I didn't answer. Merely tapped my fingers across the oily sheen of my rifle. The Holy Redeemer Church sat at the end of our tiny downtown where it had stood for the last hundred years. If Pastor Jones and the Trillers had their way, it might stand for another century as a beacon of humanity's ultimate embrace of peace. Not that I'd be welcome in their dream of peace. As I expected, the church was also a beacon for Trillers across the area. Whatever had infected people caused them to naturally gravitate to people like Jones. I remembered the reports I'd read, how this was happening in communities across the world, before reminding myself to focus on the matter at hand. As dawn slapped its nasty light down, Victor and I sneaked into the old hotel down the street from the church. The hotel had been built during Prohibition and abandoned for the last few decades. Most people avoided its decaying bulk, which was riddled with small corridors and dusty rooms. But I'd spent long days investigating the murder-suicide here, and knew the place inside and out.
1: A good defensive spot,
0: Victor said. But I still
1: don't see why I should stick with you.
0: I thought again of the murder-suicide, and wondered if I could really go through with my plan. Ignoring Victor's question, I climbed the stairs to a fifth-floor room where a small hole in the outside wall let us see the church without being seen. We watched all morning, trillers milled around on foot and in cards. Each time the bells in the church's large wooden towers rang, meaning a new victim had been sighted, Pastor Jones would start his high-toned shriek which always grabbed the minds of the other trillers and excited them into driving off to kill their prey. There were also a few prisoners in the church, all children. Through the church windows, I saw Lucy and seven other kids, each the child of a local deputy, firefighter, soldier. All looked scared. I remembered my dream and how It had condemned Lucy, merely because she was the daughter of a violent woman.
1: Obviously a trap,
0: Victor said.
1: They're trying to draw out the holdouts.
0: Maybe. Or, maybe Pastor Jones really believes those kids aren't tainted with the violent tendencies the Trillers are stamping out. Maybe he's trying to save them. That's when Pastor Jones entered the church. Through the large windows, I saw him talk to the kids. I don't know what he said, but the kids disagreed with him, with Lucy being so bold as to push him away. Pastor Jones shook his red hair in irritation and walked back outside. I fingered my assault rifle. My daughter was too much like me for the Trillers to let live for long. I had to act soon, but first, I needed to know about Victor. If I asked you to help me rescue my daughter, would you?
1: No. Earlier there was strength in numbers. Now, I'm better going alone. No offense, but that's how I work.
0: I nodded. That was the answer I'd expected. Not sure if I believe you, I said. If you're such a loner, why'd you tell Glosser about your safe house? You could have worked your way there. Laid low for a while. Again, not my way.
1: I killed 28 people, mostly women. But also a few men. People see what I've done and they wonder if the killer is one of the sheep around them. Their neighbor. Their friend.
0: I shifted the assault rifle nervously in my hands. But Victor could have killed me any time in the last two days. He grinned his evil split at my wariness.
1: You and me were so
0: similar. He said.
1: We understand evil, even if we have different reactions to it. Sheep out there, they have no clue. They hate you sheepdogs unless we wolves are around. Then they tolerate you until we disappear in the night. That's the natural way. That's the life I want.
0: He glanced at the trillers surrounding the church and shook his head.
1: I can't say this isn't my fight. And I am curious. I want to see how far you'll go to save your daughter but I won't risk my life to help you.
0: And so, that was that. He'd watch, but not help. His rambling explanation didn't totally make sense, but if I'd asked one of the Trillers about their words for peace, for a new world, because of a damn dream, would they also match their deeds? Too many levels of depths to the craziness around us. Still, I needed Victor. So, I fell back on the murder-suicide I investigated here a decade ago, knowing a secret he'd take in a trade for his help. Something Victor could only do if I let him. I handed him my assault rifle and made my offer. Victor gave me a hell of a distraction. From the Prohibition Hotel's fifth floor, hiding place, he picked off trillers with the assault rifle, sniping them one by one. He killed four before they realized where the shots came from, the sounds echoing and confusing bangs around the downtown streets and buildings. But once they knew where he was, Trillers surged towards the hotel. If he did like I said, Victor had a decent chance. It would take the Trillers a long time to search every room of that old hotel. And by then, well, I refused to think about that part. I sneaked to the rear of the church. Victor's rifle shots and the returning fire provided more than enough sound to cover my approach. Pastor Jones and an armed man stood guard over the kids in the church, but they casually watched the fight through the windows. I shot the armed man. I recognized him as Mr. Hillsbury, the principal of my old high school, and aimed the shotgun at Pastor Jones. You okay, Lucy? I asked. My daughter smiled.
2: I told Pastor Jones you're safe.
0: He didn't believe me,
2: but I told him.
0: I wanted to cheer my daughter's faith, but instead told her to lead the other kids to the back room of the church and wait for me. Victor's rifle fire still sounded from outside, but I saw the Trillas entering the hotel. Victor would soon be forced to go into hiding, and I didn't want them to return and find us here. Pastor Jones watched the kids go with sadness. It's my fault.
2: Said. while their parents dreams tainted the kids I couldn't kill them like I was supposed to I suppose I've also been tainted by people like you I couldn't simply do what I was ordered to
0: I laughed nervously at the meaning behind Jones words <laughs> how long have you been setting this up I mean people like you pastor Jones smiled since before
2: I arrived in this town Careful about using the word people on us. It's an imprecise term.
0: I shivered, wondering exactly what I faced. But I understood that there must be Pastor Joneses all over the world directing these dreams and the pushing them to do things they might otherwise be reluctant to do.
2: It's the human mind, he said, so malleable. Most of you don't realize how controlled you are by cultural constraints and the desires of other people. You made it easy for us.
0: Do you remember baptizing me, I asked. You praised me for my work. I'm the same person I was then, he nodded. Indeed
2: you are, and I've always been impressed with how strong a person you are. I think that's why I couldn't kill those kids. I thought maybe I'm the one to stand up to the insanity my kind has brought to your world. Maybe I'm the one to make a difference, much like you have done. In
0: that moment, it almost seemed as if the old Pastor Jones was before me again, caring deeply for his congregation and community. But then, I remembered the evil he and his kind had brought to my world. When people discover that they've been manipulated, they won't go easy on you, I said. (laughs) Perhaps. But the path
2: to peace no longer runs through you.
0: Even though Pastor Jones was unarmed, my soul screamed to shoot him. To leave him crying on the church pew as he slowly bled out, just like he'd done to Barry. But I'm not Victor. I made Pastor Jones kneel. And I smashed his head with the butt of my shotgun, knocking him out. I then ran to the back of the church and led the children to safety. For seven months, we lived in peace. In addition to the people Glosser and I saved, we found other refugees, soldiers and police and firefighters and others, those who understood the need to occasionally take a violent stand for what is right. We don't worship violence, but we don't fear it either. We hid at Victor's safe house in several nearby places. We no longer had much trouble with the Trillas, Unless the Trillers came face to face with us, they seemed to forget that a few of us survived, but not many. Over the radio, we heard the Trillers' celebratory message of peace echo from all corners of the world. Even though the dream that caused this behavior had begun to burn off, fewer and fewer people were Trilling, and fewer and fewer people were being killed, that didn't matter. The Trillers had won. Their peace was at hand. One cold shiver winter day. I stood guard near the safe house as a solitary man walked up the road. As he neared, I saw his nasty grin and recognized him as Victor. I moved from my hiding place, aiming my shotgun at him.
1: I'm not staying, he said. I heard the bungalow down the road is more fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I chuckled softly. A few miles from here, a number of murderers and criminals had banded together much as we had. While we mostly kept apart from those wolves, they agreed to work with us if the Trillers ever decided to mount a full-scale attack. Why are you here? I asked.
1: Curious. you tell anyone our deal?
0: I hadn't. Truth was, I'd been ashamed to. What I'd offered Victor was the hidden speakeasy in that old prohibition-era hotel. No one but the few deputies who investigated the murder-suicide knew the hidden rooms were even there. When I'd been able to explain that speakeasy location to Victor, and how that crazed druggie had been able to slowly kill his victims with no one else hearing or seeing, he'd instantly seen the potential. I told him if he snapped the trillers while I saved my daughter, he'd have the perfect lair to fall back on. The perfect place to remind his sheep of the true meaning of fear.
1: I stayed three months.
0: He told me.
1: Came out at night. Caught trillers, Took them back to that room. Had a mighty fun time. (laughs) Way better than that hitchhiker.
0: I gripped my shotgun tight. Fighting the urge to kill this evil man. Why are you here? I asked.
1: Wanted to see. Wanted to see if you told the others what you allowed me to do. Wanted to see, that's all.
0: I didn't lower my shotgun as I told him to go up the road four miles and turn at the hidden driveway under the double oak trees. They'll take you in, I said. Tell them I sent you.
1: I'll do that. You're right, you know. Not to kill me. (laughs) You'll need me in the days ahead.
0: Why? I asked, looking down at the road. Praying Pastor Jones and a mob of Trillers wasn't right behind him. The Trillers are calming down. The dream is easing. Think about it.
1: That dream and the way your pastor controlled people wasn't natural. Now that the sheepdogs and wolves are gone, Trillers are going back to being docile. That worries me.
0: Victor pulled a new pair of handmade leather gloves from his back pocket and slid them on. The bright red hairs on the gloves glistened, laughed, full of Pastor Jones' words from the night we'd prayed together at church.
1: It doesn't take another predator to know that you attack the sheep when they're peaceful, he said. The creature who tricked us with this dream of peace will be coming. I suggest keeping your eyes on the up and up.
0: Victor waved goodbye with his gloved right hand, the shock red hairs peeking and wafting to the breeze and walked on. I gripped my shotgun and watched the road and waited for more to come. Peacemaker, Peacemaker, Little Bo Peep by Jason Sanford. Tanya Milevich as Sergeant Davies, Peter Kat as Sergeant Glosser, Richard Garner as Buck, Jack Kincaid of Edict Zero and Slipgate 9 Entertainment as Victor, Andriana Marchio as Lucy, Rish Outfield as Sheriff Granville, and Big Yanklovich as Pastor Jones. Wallers were provided by Andriana Marchio, Sale Marchio, Rish Outfield, Big Yanklovich, Tobias Queen, Moses Bissell, and Tanya Mulevich. Sounds were obtained from the Free Sound Project and Soundsnap.com. Music was obtained from gemendo.com. See show notes for details. This radio drama short story falls under the Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, United States license. This has been a lightning bolt theater of the mind presentation for the Dune Steve Audio Fiction Magazine. Produced by Tanya Mulevich. Thank you so much for listening. Send your comments to lightningtheatre at gmail.com.